Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we inch ever so closer to free agency. We're only a few days away from arguably the most fun time of the year for us NBA fans, so it only makes sense to do a bit of a free agency preview, focusing on all the particulars for the Bulls and the important roster decisions they'll be making over the coming weeks. And joining me today on the show to take you through the Bulls free agency and for him to give you all his analysis and thoughts about the Bulls' upcoming offseason, he's the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, host of the Locked On NBA Podcast, as well as the lead analyst for BasketballMonster.com. But more importantly than all of that, he too is an Australian. I'm, of course, speaking about Josh Lloyd. Josh, how you doing, man? Good, Mark. Good to, good to be on. Thanks for thanks for joining me, mate. It's the first time I've ever actually done a podcast uh, about uh, about a US sports team with another Australian. So um, welcome, mate. You're the first, and I'm, I'm usually got another American on the line or or, or the odd Danish guy. So um, yeah, this is kind of cool. It is a it is a weird feeling. Like I do majority of my podcast when I have guests with Americans, but there's like the occasional Australian I get. I always find my accent like slipping back, and all my Australianisms start coming out more in those conversations. Whereas when I'm speaking to an American guest, I'm really trying to yeah, make sure that I'm uh, I'm being understood with everything that I say. So this this could get a little bit hairy for some of your listeners. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm, I'm as we're recording this right now. It's a Thursday evening for us, but I've I've got the. Uh, the Richmond uh, and Sydney Swans game going in the background as well. So this couldn't get any more Australian than maybe I, <laughs> I can maybe try, but uh, maybe I need a beer or something of that nature. But mate, look, I appreciate you coming on because I correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand you were at least a Bulls fan. That may have changed <laughs> in recent years, but um, obviously this is a Bulls podcast, but I believe that to be true. Yeah, that's true. So I, I was a, I've been a Bulls fan since like uh, 91. So we're talking about quite a long, time but then with the way that my job uh you know you made me cover the entirety of the nba and trying to be you have a level of impartiality and i've got to watch all all of these teams and can't you focus entirely on the bulls it started to wane there and then um yeah sure some of your listeners would be able to relate some of these front office decisions made it pretty hard to maintain that interest when it was already sort of yeah dropping off just because of you know impartiality brought in with work and uh and um, Paxson and Foreman did their best to sort of uh, just kick me over the edge there. So I still have a soft spot for the Bulls, but I'm not like watching every game as I was before. No, certainly understandable, mate. And um, look, I'm, I'm sure if people are following me, they're all over you anyway on, online and those sorts of things. So they're probably familiar with that story anyway. But um, look, before we dive into free agency, obviously that's what we're here to talk about. That's the most relevant thing, given that we're only a few days away from it. Before we do so, though, I, you know the draft is still fresh in my mind. It's it's less than a week ago, I suppose, for us. What what you what were your uh, your quick thoughts about the Bulls draft in general, and and how, how did you see that sort of playing out for the team? I thought they did quite well, um, and yeah, you know, I actually gave them, and I'm, you know, I'm really critical of this front office, as many people would be aware. I thought they did really well. I, I was I was happy with the pick at seven. I really liked them getting Wendell Carter Jr. I thought it's a strong pick. He's got a chance. You know, I think he's got a chance to be even the best center in this draft. He might not get there, but his ability offensively, uh, passing skills, rim protection, uh, moves pretty well. Yeah, some some defensive concerns, but I really liked the pick. I think it was the smartest choice. When all those guys went off the board, I was hoping someone like Jaron Jackson Jr. would fall, but uh, that wasn't the case. I think they made the smart choice there. Chandler Hutchison, I hate the fact that there was that promise involved to him, and we all knew that was going to be the case. But as a player, I don't think there's too much wrong with him. Yeah, he's a four-year guy, but he's a wing who handles the ball, can distribute the ball. 
scores, hits threes, showed solid development. And while he probably doesn't have much in terms of star upside equity, he does have a real solid, can step in straight away and a real position of need for the Bulls and be a guy that can come in and, you know, I'd say be in the rotation immediately. Now, I gave the Bulls a compliment saying I think they did quite well in the draft. And then, of course, they went out and did a press conference while the draft was still going and said they didn't think there was any talent outside the top 25 picks, which is as blatantly wrong as you could get. So they just uh, undid all their good work with that sort of nonsense. And again, even if you think that, don't say it. Don't go out there and, and do a press conference when there's still 30 picks left. I know they didn't have a pick, but nearly every single second round pick was getting traded. And it's just the worst look you can give. And it just shows, again, when you when you back it up with last year when we hadn't scouted that far on our board, so we sold the pick away. It is it just gives you the look of absolute incompetence. Yeah, look, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, a hundred percent there. And, and and on last week's pod that I um, did with Jay Pat, it, it it kind of felt weird, almost having glowing remarks about the draft, the Bulls draft. Exactly. Last year it was obviously at the time we didn't necessarily know Larry Mark and it was going to break out in the way he did. But I mean. We weren't feeling too high after that draft last year, so I was expecting to be somewhat down or expecting some, you know, some odd choices. But like, like you said, I think they made the smart, logical decisions. Um, it remains to be seen how good these guys will be, but I think they made the right choices. Certainly at seven, we'll see about number twenty-two there with Chandler Hutchinson. There were some good players up, uh, still available, but I don't mind the pick itself. But to your point. The fact that they did a procedure in the uh, the second round there, it's it's just bad optics. And uh, you know, that, I know they don't have to concern themselves with optics of, of fans and those sorts of things. But given all the uh, the negative attention they've received over the years in terms of or from the fans, it's you, know, you just got to be smarter. But uh, yeah, yeah, you do. And but you know what? They could have gone out and done that press conference, and then you could have said, "Oh, why were you in there? You know, working the phones?" Because yeah, you know, our assistant GM was in there, you know, trying to work deals, looking at it, but. Yeah, and you can get away with it. But to go out and say that there's no players worthy of our attention is just an absolute nonsense saying. It's right up there with Neil O'Shea saying that no one gets picked at pick 37 who can be an immediate contributor. Yet about there's been about six blokes in the last three years who have been on in playoff rotations picked between 36 and 40. It just shows that you actually don't know fully what you're doing in your job. Yep, I certainly agree, mate. Certainly agree with that one. So, um, look, that's we're just a quick hitter on, on, on the draft itself. Uh, I, th- I think we've done it to death anyway. But let's talk about the more pressing stuff, which is free agency. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of this for the Bulls. They could, I don't, I'm not expecting them to do much in terms of signing big names or acquiring a whole heap of, of players and really overdoing this roster. But given that they're one of the few teams that potentially will have a decent amount of cap space that they could be players in the sense that other teams that are trying to buy space or trying to offload contracts, these sorts of things, they might really need the Bulls as assistance. And in that way, the team could actually, I guess, load up on some draft picks and, and maybe build towards the future and, and continue to uh, get assets that way. So we'll go through all those scenarios and we'll hit on all that sort of stuff. But I guess we we should start with the fact that this team is, like like I said, going to be one of the few teams that will probably have cap space. Now, depending on what they do, will obviously determine how much space they will have. But at the moment, based on, on my cap sheet, and, and I'm, I'm not sure about you, Josh, but I'm by no means a cap uh, analyst of sorts or a cap genius. I, I know a little bit, so I might say some things here and there that are technically incorrect. But um, from my cap sheet, at least, I've got the Bulls having it about $64 million in guaranteed salary, which includes... Wendell Carter Jr. and Chandler Hutchinson at 120% of their rookie sale contracts. That number could rise to about $67.9 million if they retain Sean Kilpatrick and Paul Zipser 
both of whom are on non-guaranteed contracts. I wouldn't expect them to do that, but you know we might have to factor that number in. And really, they're only free agents that they have on the books, and Noah Vonley, Zach Levine, and David Waba. So they're the only free agents they've got. All three are restricted free agents at this point. 12 players on the roster pretty much with guaranteed contracts, six of those being power forwards and centers. So they don't have a lot of roster spots to really fill out in terms of adding guys onto uh, the roster itself. So you would assume they're going to be quiet in terms of adding players. Do you think that's a fair assumption? Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be uh, aggressive in going out and, and getting guys. Now, of course, you can never count out what they're going to do, whether an opportunity arises for them to get Rajon Rondo again. Maybe they go uh, that <laughs> route. <laughs> but in terms of what I think they should be doing, and I think there's some element there. Now, I was a little bit worried about what they were going to do this offseason a few months back when they were talking about, we want this to be a quick one-year rebuild and back into contention area. Uh, for this offseason, I thought, yeah, that's that's not the way you should be looking at this. Um, but it, it appears to not be the case necessarily uh, anymore. And, and I think that they'll be one of those teams, along with the Hawks, who'll be in the market for, with teams who are looking to clear space, whether that's someone like the Lakers, whether that's someone like the Sixers, or another team that's looking to, to clear space and, in the process, acquire an asset. They're one of the very few teams who's going to have that ability to do that. And that's the way that they should be approaching free agency and just trying to get maybe some high upside guys that can contribute and just be solid rotational pieces and just take flyers on players. And I get the feeling, I could be wrong, I've been wrong about this team before, but I get the feeling that they're going to be looking more towards the 2019 summer free agency period rather than this one and trying to get themselves into an asset accumulation phase now. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the tea leaves are suggesting as much and... I think that's a smart route to take, but of course things can change pretty quickly in free agency depending on what other teams are doing around them. And, and maybe you know a free agent they weren't expecting comes knocking on the door and suggests maybe he wants to come to Chicago and maybe that changes their plans. But I think what you outlined there is the most likely scenario. And I guess in terms of uh, you know scenarios and the most likely uh, available cap space that they will have, assuming they renounce the rights to Noah Bonley, who doesn't really make sense to keep around given that they just drafted Wendell Carter Jr. And as I mentioned before, six players on the roster already in the uh, the front court there who have guaranteed deals. So it doesn't really make sense to keep Bonley around. Most likely going to waive Paul Zipser and Sean Kilpatrick who are on unguaranteed deals. Paul Zipser's deal becomes guaranteed after July 18. So expect him to be gone before then. But assuming that scenario plays out in that sense, the the Bulls will probably get towards about twenty five point one to twenty five point four million dollars in cap space. So it's a it's a good number to have, and and like you sort of alluded to there, it's plenty of room to maybe sign a few guys there on the periphery, but also take on a bad contract or two, depending on what they want to do. But we'll go into those full scenarios a little bit later on. But I, I thought we should start with their own free agents for the moment and sort of dive into what they potentially could be doing with those guys. And I guess we really have to start with Zach Levine. He's their biggest name free agent. He's maybe arguably one of the biggest name free agents of, uh, free agents available once you start removing uh, LeBron James, Paul George, Chris Paul, these sorts of guys. So let's talk Zach Levine and and, and his upcoming deal and what that may look like. But, but before we do that, I just wanted to get your take on Zach Levine in general because I'm sort of getting this opinion myself that the narrative has sort of swung a little too far against Zach Levine, but I'm interested to hear your take first. I understand where you're coming from in saying that. Um, look, he's shown 
quite a bit in a couple of those seasons in Minnesota with his ability to shoot, but I just feel like he lacks in, in too many areas. His ball handling is not great. His offensive decision-making, his passing is not great. We saw those times when he was forced into that point guard role, which did force him to learn some extra skills, but they haven't really translated to his play at shooting guard, and his defense is is atrocious. Now, I do give him a pass for some of that defense last season. The team that he was on wasn't necessarily you know, backstopped by great defenders. Larry Market and struggles in the front court at times, and that can put stress on, on wing guys. And he's also returning from an ACL, and guys coming back from ACL injuries. The one thing that always takes time to catch up is their defense. And when you're starting well behind the eight ball that, that he was with his defensive ability anyway, it's going to be atrocious. And, and there's no doubt that was. I was a little bit concerned with his um, with his poor shooting uh, and, and some real concerns um, with the the decision-making this season. Because, look, he, he did have those seasons in Minnesota where he shot 40% from three, but he was doing that as not the primary option, as a secondary or even a tertiary offensive option. But in Chicago, we saw, yeah, and it, it didn't work well at the start of the season when Fred Hoiberg said, or oh, Justin Holiday is our go-to scorer, and Holiday would jack up 50 shots a game and hit five of them. And then that same mentality seemed to be transferred onto Levine. You get the feeling that Hoiberg said to him, well, now you're our, our main scorer. Go and take as many shots as you want. And you know, pairing it with the return from ACL, I don't know how much of that was the confidence in his knee or him just being in a, you know, a primary offensive role that he wasn't able to handle. And that gives me the concern. Um, if you put him with another higher usage offensive guy or you want to tail, tailor the offense more towards Lowry Markman and use him as that secondary guy, I feel the efficiency would go up. But I also feel that the Bulls and Hoiberg don't really view it that way. And I think that's going to lead to some concerns with him being a, a real gunner who does have those passing issues and defensive issues. And that's going to lead to some problems down the track. So I do understand that it is going a little bit too far on him, but there were considerable worrying signs but the injury is the big question mark. Like, how much of an impact was that? Was it all of the, was it all the impact his injury? Was it the role? Was it a combination? It's hard to judge, and it makes it a real tricky one for our free agency. Yeah, look, I, I agree with most of the points that you put out there. And, and when I say like the narrative has gone too far, that's not to suggest that Zach Levine is this perfect player who's getting unfairly criticised here. He's, he's definitely got his flaws, and you know most of them you just listed out there perfectly. So. We don't need to really go back into that, but I don't know. It just almost feels like this groupthink sort of mentality is sort of, I guess, riding this guy off. But we have to remember he's only 23, and, and he was pretty much set up to fail in a sense. One, because he was coming back from an ACL injury, exactly. which is always difficult. But coming back to with an ACL in a team that was actively tanking and trying to put out bad lineups when he actually came back, it, it makes it more difficult. But I think your main point there is the concerns around him you know, just generally from returning from his injury, but there's existing concerns that we already have uh, about Zach Levine as a player and the fact that now they have to give him a big eight-figure deal, it it, it kind of makes this whole situation kind of muddled and we don't really know, I guess, what Zach Levine wants in terms of a deal. We don't necessarily know how far the Bulls are prepared to go, but we'll, we'll obviously find out in the coming weeks, but Sitting here right now, based on the information that we have today, what what do you think is an optimal number for both Levine and the Bulls? And you know, meeting themselves in the middle, what do you think that number is? Well, first of all, I'll say something that is you know, positive, and maybe I've been a little bit too negative on him, but from all the reports, he seems like a, a really, really good bloke. And I think that that sort of 
um, positive energy that, that a person like that can bring to an organization, a fan base, and a locker room is being valued a lot more in NBA circles. You know, Jimmy Butler's had his issues in the Chicago locker room. We hear stories you know, leaking out about him in, in Minnesota. We hear these stories about players having issues and, and teams just saying, well, it's just ruining everything. It not only affects their play, it affects everyone else's play around the team. And getting a guy of really high character. And again, that is every single report I've heard about Levine. I've never heard one negative thing about him in that sense. That gives him value in that sense. Being a guy who can shoulder an offensive load while still being a real positive presence, I think that's a really strong point in his favor. And that's something that teams are valuing a lot more. And I think that Chicago is definitely going to be valuing that when they're making that evaluation. Now, when I look at sort of a deal for him, I'd like to go shorter. Now, I don't know what he's going to feel, but I think you could make that that um, argument towards Zach and be like, well, you know, we'll give you an opportunity. You've got the, the knee injury, you know, harken back to a Steph Curry injury coming off the ankle surgeries. We're not really sure. And look what happened to Steph. He got locked into this uh, long four-year deal. And for the last three years of it, he was significantly underpaid. So, Zach, how about we give you a, uh, a two-year or two years with it, or three years, including a, a player option for forty million or something like that. You know, thirteen million dollars a year. But if you outplay it, you get the option to go back on the market in two years. If you don't, you've got locked in forty million dollars. It's life changing sort of stuff. I don't think he's necessarily going to take that, but that's the sort of tack that I would be going. I wouldn't want to be going up to twenty million, which is the number that I believe that he's he's thinking of looking for. Fifteen, I may go for, but I'd want to keep it at a two plus one rather than a four or a five. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good place to start the no- negotiations for, from the Bulls. And uh, again, we- we've talked about his ACL injury, and I-, I think that's going to be an interesting factor in terms of his mindset, in terms of what he wants to sign. And I don't know, putting myself in that in his situation, coming off a knee injury like that, being a player that heavily relies on his athleticism, I understand that he wants you know twenty odd million, maybe even more. But at what point do you start to question your body, or or maybe not question it, but at least you know, wonder, you know, how, how, how long you will sort of hold up um, after playing, you know, well, he's been playing basketball his whole life before NBA seasons and the rigors that sort of come with that. I wonder how much that will play into his mind and whether he's prepared to uh, accept guaranteed money over longer years, maybe shorter amount over those years, or whether he's really going to chase that dollar and, and back himself in that sense and maybe take a shorter term deal. I think that's going to be the really interesting aspect of it. But from what you're sort of suggesting, you're you're sort of saying that the Bulls should pitch their their initial offers around the, the 11 to 13 million mark. Is, is that a is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that, that's how I would look at it. The other thing you can do is you can you can also use it with him and say, look look what happened to Jabari Parker. He's done that ACL twice. Like he's in real trouble and he's probably going to get a lesser offer. We had Derek Rose in our building whose career was really derailed by his injuries. You, you probably want to give yourself that option of locking it in. Now I'm looking at as we speak here. Over on 538, they've released their Carmelo projection system for the 2018-19 system. As a, as a part of that, for every player, they have a five-year market value of what, what a player's worth. And, I, and a lot of them seemed high. Like a guy like uh, Nikola Jokic, his five-year value, based on what he provides to a, a team on the court, you know, not factoring in max salaries, was like $300 million or something like out of control like that. Levine's five-year value is at $35 million, according to the 538 projection system, which is even less than what I suggested. So I think that that sort of $11, 12 $13 million a year with that player option on there would be the area that I'd look to start. He probably would feel a little bit insulted by that. But this market's going to be really, really tight. I don't see the many teams out there that are going to be able to offer him much more than that. Well, well that's, the, that's the other interesting element in this. So the Bulls can afford to play hardball 
because of the market conditions. I mean, they could they could do that irrespective of that. Um, if it was a, a uh, fruitful market, they could still feel that his value is worth around the 11 to $13 million mark. But even more, more so, given that we've already mentioned, there's only probably going to be maybe six to seven teams that can really realistically, I guess, get to a cap space number of around 15 or more million. And not all of those teams will be actively trying to uh, sign guys. That that market condition is going to make it really hard for Levine to sort of drum up that interest. Now it only takes one stupid team to offer him a, a four year, twenty million dollar um, deal over those four years, pushing that up towards eighty million. Uh, it only takes one team, and maybe that team's the the Sacramento Kings, who are, have been known to do stupid things over the years. But I really do think that that those market conditions are going to work in the Bulls' favor here, and um, that will really help them in their in their quest here to, to bring Levine back at a good number. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, you, there is you know, only one team that's, you know, or no, this is only going only takes one team to create that issue. Now, Mark, I'll ask you a question. If the Kings do come and say his four years flat, $80 million, do you match it? Ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's a tough question. And, and I, my, my, my gut reaction is, isn't, is to instinctively say no. And that's far too much money, particularly, you know, if it was a two to three year deal, maybe you just bite the bullet and do so. If it's a three year, $60 million deal or something of that nature, maybe you do it in that instance and concern yourself more with the years and the dollars in that regard. But the fact that it's four years over 20 million or 20 million over four years, rather, that's when it gets really dicey, particularly if he sustains another serious knee injury. And, you know, you, you, you're really getting into those dark days again, as as we sort of suffered there with Derek Rose over the years and even Joakim Noah to an extent. But I probably would let him walk at twenty million dollars over or four years, um, eighty million dollars. That 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 would be kind of scary. I'd be somewhat disappointed because I still have faith that he could be a good NBA player, and I'm not necessarily sure if he's you know this this franchise guy that he was originally pegged to be when he came over in the trade. But I'm pretty sure he's not that. I don't, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he's going to be a franchise guy. He can be a good player, but the thing we have to remember, he hasn't been a good player yet. He's been an average to below average NBA player who wins dunk contests. He hasn't been a good NBA player yet. Well, well let me ask you this. The Zach Levine that, that we saw in his second or third season there, with, before, he, before he actually tore the ACL, where he was that third option, scoring 18 points a game and doing so efficiently and was a really good three-point shooter, assuming the market maybe wasn't like what it is today and it was not... It wasn't too bad, but there was there was more teams that had space. Maybe something comparable to what the twenty nineteen market will be next year. Given those market conditions and Levine being that type of player, what what do you think that version of Levine would have uh, commanded on the um, on the free agency market? I think he would have gotten close to that twenty million dollars. I still wouldn't have been comfortable yeah. playing pay, paying him that much. Like. You can look at his advanced numbers are, are all really bad, like negative box score plus minuses every year of his career on off stuff. And this is this is what's baffling to me about him as a player. Okay, so playing under Tom Thibodeau, who we all know as Bulls fans won't play the bench at all. So the starters are going to be on this whole time. Yet for him to have an on off as negative, negative four point three before he hurt his knee, that's really really bad. That means whoever was coming off the bench, yeah, and we know Tibbs doesn't trust it, and their bench wasn't good either. It was significantly outplaying him uh, in that time, and that that's staggering to me. Just how poorly he translates into winning basketball, even before that knee injury. So uh, he would have gotten a, a a decent deal if he hadn't have hurt his knee, and the, the cap situation was a little bit different. I still feel he would have been overpaid, though. Yeah, I, th- I think that's certainly possible, but 
you know, it, it, do, it did seem like guys like uh, Gary Harris and, and Victor Oladipo, who at that point, Depot wasn't what he is today, but they were getting in those uh, contracts in that range of that 4 of 80 or 4 and 70 in, in that range. And it sort of felt like Zach Levine was headed towards a contract of that value. And, and I completely understand as to why he still feels he's worth that, even though the market has changed. And obviously, obviously he sustained that knee injury. But I think what I've been actually getting or trying to get my head around um, lately is if the Bulls were to sign into a four-year, $80 million deal, or let's just call it even four over 70, if in the, if that was to sort of transpire, I'd be interested to see if they could strike a deal with that amount of years and that amount of dollars, but have maybe some incentives there that maybe don't necessarily guarantee that full amount. So in the sense yeah. that Levine is still getting the number that he wants, but he needs to play a certain amount of games or he needs to make an all-star game. He needs to do this and he needs to do that to activate the additional $10 million or whatever it may be. I wonder if that's a potential opportunity for the Bulls to explore with Levine as well. I think they would want to put a non-guaranteed portion if they're doing four years. You'd have to have partial guarantee, a $2 million to $3 million guarantee on that final year. We've seen even guys like Joel Embiid have these sort of things baked into their contract. Paul Millsap signed a three-year deal and his last year is non-guaranteed or it's a team option. So it's not just, it's happening to, you know, very, very good and very talented, you know, all-star level players, not even uh, someone like Zach Levine. So I think if they were, if they were giving out a four-year contract and didn't have any sort of team protection baked into that last year, it would be a real failure on their part. And I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast saying, well, you have to retain him. He was the major you know, piece coming back in the uh, in the Jimmy Butler deal. I think at this point, you just got to move on from it. You just got to go. The Butler deals happened. Like, I didn't like it at the time. You know, Lowry showed a little bit. Chris Dunn still, yeah. Look, he defends well, sure. Offensively, still struggles. But you can't be looking back at, well, well, we gave him, we gave up Jimmy Butler and got Levine back. So, therefore, we have to hold on to him for you know, X amount of years now because we gave it up. If it didn't work and if it's not going to work in the future, you don't just go back and say, well, because we did this in the past, we now have to handicap ourselves four years into the future. I, I think that, uh, and I don't think the front office would necessarily think that, but I feel like a lot of the fan base will have that opinion. And I think that could cloud some of their judgments. But Mark, I've, I've got a question for you. I'm just looking through basketball references. I do quite often um, and looking at similarity scores. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, uh, that section they have there where they compare them based on your know, win shares gained throughout career. Mm-hmm. And um, looking at Zach Levine's uh, career win shares similarity, and he is closest, the most closely correlated to a current Bulls player. Who do you think that would be? Interesting. A current Bulls player. I'm tipping it's not going to be a favorable player given the, the state of the roster. Um, <laughs> uh, Denzel Valentine? I'll, I'll, I'll plug in Denzel. It's uh, Jaron Grant. Oh, that's even less flattering. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Jaron Grant is his uh, best career sim, and his uh, best career sim through four years of a playing career is Vincent, Vincent Askew and then CJ Miles, which CJ Miles is a fine player, and that's the sort of player that not necessarily like to see Levine coming, but that sort of would be a great role for him, a guy that can knock down threes and can provide you know some nice scoring punch and quick movement. But I feel like he's being miscast as a offensive uh, dynamo leading a franchise in that way. So it, it is going to be very interesting to see how that all pans out with him uh, over the coming next week or two. Yeah, I certainly agree. And, uh, and and I think what's going to be interesting as well is how much the Miritich situation from last year sort of acts as a bit of a proxy here for how the Bulls sort of handle 
the Zach Levine contract negotiation. So I, I guess what I'm hinting at here is Miritich was once at one, at one point, you know, maybe not the favorite son of the front office, but he was meant to be this prized possession, this this huge haul, this uh, former uh, EuroLeague MVP who was coming over, and he was going to be the stretch four that we never had but always, but always needed. And, you know, obviously over time, things soured there and the Bulls moved on pretty quickly. And I kind of wonder if the Zach Levine situation may sort of follow suit in the sense that obviously he was the prized possession coming along from the Minnesota Timberwolves in that Butler deal. But, it, you know, at least based on what Nick Rick, uh, Nick Friedell, sorry, what he's been sort of reporting or, or suggesting on Twitter at least, is the Bulls aren't necessarily as firmly committed as to Levine as what they once were, which I guess is somewhat pleasing to see that they're not necessarily just going to overpay him to overpay him. But thinking about the Miritich situation where they really let market conditions dictate what Miritich's next deal was going to be, and that re- they really used that against him to get Miritich to a very favorable contract. And I wonder if this situation sort of plays out the same, where the Bulls have got a number in their mind, uh, Levine and his camp have a number in their mind, similar to, similarly to what Miritich and his camp had. And we sort of meet, uh, get to this sort of stalemate situation where this sort of drags on for a few months and you know both parties eventually agree to a deal, but it's maybe a one plus one or, or something of that nature. Do you, do you think there's a possibility we sort of head down that path with Zach Levine as we did with uh, Nikola Miritich? Yeah, I think there's a real possibility. Yeah, restricted free agency is a real drag on, on the players with the teams reluctant to make these offers with teams with their own teams having them over a barrel and teams not wanting to um, uh, yeah, tie up cap space with offers and, all, and yeah, the uncertainty, as we've all talked about. I think there's a real chance that yeah, we could be stretching into um, you know, the, the end of July, the start of August, even before deals get knocked out. We saw it with Miritich last season. We saw it with Jermichael Green. We saw it with Mason Plumley. So it wasn't an isolated incident just with the Bulls' front office. There were numerous players who had that situation uh, drag out. I think that happened with Eric Bledsoe. Uh, a few years back in Phoenix as well, the same sort of a same sort of a situation. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of would be expecting that to almost be the case at this point. Now, again, depending on what other teams decide to do, but I wouldn't be surprised if it, this thing does drag out. I'm not expecting a quick resolution for this one, and you know, obviously time will tell. But that's where my guess is sort of heading with this sort of thing. But final one on Levine, he's got a 9.6 million dollar cap hold. That's what he's against the books for on the Bulls cap sheet for the moment, but he has a $4.3 million qualifying offer. He can choose to accept that if he's not happy with the deals he gets back. Basically, he plays out one more year of his deal with the Bulls for $4.3 million and then can hit, hit free agency again next summer. Do you think that's an option at all, or do you think the ACL and the, and, and the, the fear of re-injuring himself really will uh, scare him away from the, uh, the qualifying offer? I think you'll see a few qualifying offers get accepted this season, maybe a guy like Yusuf Nurkic, you know, former Chicago Bulls legend Yusuf Nurkic, <laughs> might uh, might accept that in Portland. But I, I think with the the injury scare, I think he'll be looking to lock in uh, lock in some money um, and get that guaranteed money rather than the four million dollars. So I think it's less of an option for Levine. But I think we're going to see quite a few of these qualifying offer situations. Uh, the, the old Greg Monroe special that we saw a couple uh, a couple of years back in Detroit. I think we could see that uh, being the case, but I'm not so sure with Levine, as you mentioned, that that knee injury, I think, and rightfully so, it should scare him a little bit. Yeah, I kind of agree. I'm not necessarily too worried about that. But all right, one last question, Levine. What, what What's the maximum amount you go up to? 
uh, annually at least, per, uh, a, a number, what, what's what's the most you would pay him per year? I'll, I wouldn't want to go over 15, I don't think. I, I might might push to 17, depending yeah. on how things are going, but I wouldn't want to go any... Uh, 15 would be where I'd be looking at. I'd start lower and, and go to 15 and say, yeah, if we do 345, I'm, I'm okay with that. It's going, yeah. to be, it's going to be tight, man. This, this um, free agency... He's going to be real tight. There's no money. He's not going to be able to go, well, look, this bloke got this, you know, middling player got, uh, you know, four years, a hundred million dollars. Guys like DeMarcus Cousins might struggle to get max contracts. Like they might might get, he might even get 25 a year. Like it's going to be tight and he's not going to have much in terms of negotiating power based on that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And and that 15 number seems to be a consensus amongst Bulls fans, at least that there's some a little bit lower, maybe some a little bit higher, but, Generally speaking, from the people I've interacted with, 15 a year sort of seems to be the uh, that sweet spot. So we'll see where it falls either side of that. But let's talk about another Bulls restricted free agent, uh, another guard there or another wing player who was arguably much better than um, Zach Levine, despite not necessarily having the uh, the accolades or the prestige that someone like Zach Levine comes with. I'm talking about David Waba, who was a great pickup for the Bulls, someone that I guess was slept on as a prospect and as a player and even somewhat slept on in terms of giving management credit in terms of their ability to bring in someone like Nwaba, given the uh, the stigma that sort of surrounded the front office last season, given the what they sort of undertake, undertook there with the Butler deal. But Nwaba was probably, I wouldn't necessarily say he was their best player last season, but he might have been top three in terms of you know the most productive Chicago Bulls players. And he has a $1.6 cap hold, uh, $1.6 million cap hold, if I'm not mistaken. And if I am, it's not too far off but I wonder what the Bulls are going to be doing with him and starting at the top though do you think he's someone that they definitely need to retain um, irrespective of what the cost is or how do you think they should be playing Nwaba's uh, new deal as well I'll, I'll start with saying this yeah it was a great move from them to claim him off waivers I think it was stupid of the Lakers to actually release him and they could have released someone like uh, or Tyler Ennis uh, was around it was a dumb move on the Lakers behalf um, and, and a great move from the Bulls. I just don't see very much upside in what Nwaba brings. He is 26 years of age. Or he's going to turn 26 in January. So he's you know, a decently old player. Not that 26 is that old, but we're not talking about a 22-year-old here. We're talking about a, a guy who looks good out on the court in terms of his ability to hustle, in terms of his commitment and passion. But he can't shoot at all, really. Like The high field goal percentage that he does put up really doesn't relate to the fact that he can shoot the ball. He really can't. Uh, he had 48% from the field, strong, 35 from three, but that's on 0.7 attempts. He just doesn't take those threes. He plays pretty much as a, as a power forward in the shooting guard position. He plays well defensively. I thought he showed quite a bit this season. I don't think that he should be someone they're looking at as a high-priority guy. And if they're paying him um, you know, $5 million a year, that that might even be pushing it a little bit too much. I just feel like he can be, I think he's a replaceable type of player with limited upside for as good as he is. I'm not, I'm not overly, uh, not overly, I wouldn't overly be worried if he, uh, someone ends up giving him like a three year, $30 million deal. Someone said that would be like, congratulations, David. I'm glad we helped you, but oh, you can probably go. Yeah, I think that's a fair and reasonable take to have, but I'll admit I'm somewhat biased here with David Nwaba. It was, it was a, it was a dire season last season. There wasn't much to root for, but, 
seeing David Waller take on an entire five-man unit, <laughs> five-man defense and sort of just trucking his way to the basket and scoring over those guys. That was one of those rare moments that we did have as Bulls fans that we really enjoyed. Seeing Nwaba just sort of own that baseline and dunking whenever he could and just, just doing these crazy freak athletic things. So he was probably my favorite Bull last year, actually. So I, I admit my bias towards him, but I'm kind of worried if they don't bring Nwaba back, what the wing rotation potentially could look like. And and it's really thin at the moment. So if we just assume Kilpatrick and Zips are gone, their, their non-guaranteed deals are, are erased from the books. It pretty much still just leaves Zach Levine, assuming he's brought back as well. Uh, Justin Holiday, who's no guaranteed to stay beyond the, the the deadline itself. And of course, Denzel Valentine and Chandler Hutchinson. They're pretty much your wings at the moment for the Bulls, and none of those guys really project to be, I guess, above average defenders next season. And not not that the Bulls are actively trying to win games and stop guys from uh, or stop opposing teams from putting up a ton of buckets, but I just wonder where that wing defense will be without a guy like David Nwaba. And I, and I wonder if for the Bulls, he's more valuable as more valuable as a Bull than maybe any other team. Yes, yeah, that's fair enough. Like it's not a great not a great rotation there. You've got yeah yeah. Valentine, yeah, like he has his moments. I think he can be solid. Not sure he's uh not sure he's ever going to be a, a star or anything like that. Hutchison, yeah, we see how he goes, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I'd rather they take a flyer on some, some sort of other young wing. The problem is, there's just not many of those guys uh, around, um, yeah. and that might necessitate them bringing back someone like Nwaba, even though he is probably a little bit too small to play the three. On a, on a full-time basis, he played quite a bit there. Uh, I'd like them to try. I'd like them to try someone else who's maybe like a, a 22, 23 year old. Even if it's a, a G League type player, bring someone over from Europe. I tell you, I tell you what they should do, and they won't do this. I want them to try Jan Vesely, who's really seems to have found his game back in Europe again. Bring him over and see if he can do do anything back in the NBA now that he's uh, you know not uh, not the under the sort of stress that he was as the number six overall pick. Back, uh, back, whatever that was a few years ago. I'm just not looking. I know Nwaba is great. He's he's a perfect player to support, a perfect player to really get behind, especially when you're a bad team to go. Look at this bloke. You know, balls out on the court, really doesn't care. Like, we'll do anything for the team to win. You love those sort of guys, but ideally, Mark, he's best suited to be the ninth man on a playoff team. Really, like that's his role. Like, imagine him on the Warriors coming in in that Sean Livingston role. Like, that's perfect. That's that's where he belongs, and that's not what the Bulls are. Yeah, I, I look. Ultimately, I agree, but I don't want to agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm too biased. I'm too biased with Nwaba. And a guy's got a nickname of Demolition Man, according to Basketball Reference. It's really hard not to uh, want him on your team. Yeah, that's a fantastic movie, but as a as a side piece, and he kind of does look like Wesley Slipes in that sense. But um, yeah. Uh, Look, you make great points, and, and look, if the number does creep up above $5 million, then you probably do have to wave goodbye to David Nwaba, but maybe a three-year $12 million deal or a three-year $15 million deal, something of that nature, or even two over 10. Maybe you consider bringing him back on that number, but I would be sad to see him go. No, I completely understand. Like that's the, the emotion that you have attached to these guys based on what they did and, and how much effort they put into the team is is really a key thing. But if you start stretching that, look, a three year nine million dollar deal would be fantastic to get. Like remember back to what uh, like Seth Curry got a couple of years ago when yeah, the Bulls absolutely yeah, should have gone deal. for him. Like 
if you can get Nwaba on that, like, absolutely. And then if your team does become good in two years' time, then you've got him as a perfect seventh man, sort of a guy to come in, you know, crack some heads open uh, and do a little bit of what he needs to do. But uh, he's just – if it goes too high, and it probably won't. No one's going to offer him big money in this situation. So I think you're going to be able to get him at a good deal, and that's you know, totally fine. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you there. But look, let's move on from Nwaba. As long as I, mean, I could do an entire podcast about him, but look, let's keep things moving and let's go beyond, I guess, the Bulls' own free agents and let's talk more holistically. Let's talk about their strategy in general, what they should or shouldn't be doing, and maybe some other free agents they should be considering here as we close out this pod here. But we sort of touched on before, you know, generally speaking, what they should be doing in terms of buying some bad contracts, buying debt and getting some reward for that. But, you know, in terms of their potential scenarios, listed one out before where they renounce the rights to Noah Bonley, they get rid of Zipsa and Kilpatrick, and they intend to keep Nuaba and Levine still around using their cap hold on the books. That number comes out to about $25 million in space, but there's also a scenario there where they lose both Levine and Nuaba, and they, their cap space could be really, be really pushed out to, towards $36, $37 million in space. So it's kind of, I guess, imperative to see what the market is for the two guys that we talked about, because that could really determine what the next steps are for the Bulls in terms of how many bad contracts they could really uh, really afford to take on. So let's talk about that strategy in general in terms of taking on some bad deals. They're one of the, spa- uh, one of the teams who have the space to do that. You mentioned the Hawks before as well. They're, they're probably going to be the two main teams that are going to be playing this way in free agency. But what are some names or some salary dumps that you could sort of see, I guess, getting linked to the Bulls in terms of coming to Chicago and maybe getting a pick out of it? Okay, so my my issue, well, my level of concern there is uh, if teams come to them, you know, with including second rounders in the deal, we know that they don't value second rounders at all. So that might be a stumbling block. The other fear I have is it similar to that Nikola Mirotic deal? Is it some teams going to say, oh, well, you take this guy, we'll give you a first, and then but you have to give us back future seconds as well? And we know that they've got absolutely no. They throw future seconds in like. Someone will be like, oh, cool. uh, that's uh, great doing business with you, uh, John. Oh, do you guys want an extra second? Oh, no worries. We'll take one. We saw it in the Doug McDermott deal. They gave one to the uh, Miritich deal as well, and that's a little bit of a concern. And our guy that immediately yeah, comes to mind in terms of someone that a team might be looking to, to move on from is perhaps uh, Ennis Cantor in New York. I don't know whether the Knicks would want to do that if he opts in, but maybe they want to absorb his sort of contract. Do the Thunder want to do it with Carmelo Anthony? I don't think they would. Yeah, that might rock the boat quite a bit there in the locker room, but that's another possibility. The, the Thunder are a team the Bulls have obviously dealt with in the past as, as terms in terms of a trading partner. Uh, Luol Deng, does he make a triumphant homecoming if the Lakers really need to cl- uh, clear space? Can you get a first round out of Magic Johnson? The first round out of Magic Johnson. You know, the talk is they're really looking to acquire extra first round picks at the moment, so they can then uh, package those to uh, to to move off uh, salary and get some of these guys in. They're really trying to you know, get these deals happening and for the right the right mix. So I, they're the sort of ones that you, that you want to be looking at. Um, I was going to say Jan Mihimbi, but Washington doesn't have another center at this point. Is it Evan Turner in Portland? Do you look to take him on and get get a first rounder and, and maybe a second in that deal? That's something they should be uh, exploring there. They're probably the major contracts, maybe even like a, a Kent Bazemore, but Atlanta's not in that spot where they need to really be bothered too much by um, um yeah, by shedding bad salary, even though Bazemore's not a great contract and they're going to be in the bidding war with Chicago to absorb those bad deals from other teams. So they're, they're probably the major ones 
that, that I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe it's a Wes Matthews in Dallas as well as they try to clear out space and bring in DeAndre Jordan and get some playing time there for Luka Doncic as well. Yeah, I, I, you touched on two names that I definitely had on my list in, in Lowell Dean and, and Evan Turner. And, and given Dean's connections to Chicago, that probably makes the most sense, even though that didn't necessarily end on the uh, on the best foot there. But given what the Lakers are trying to achieve, it kind of makes sense for him to be moved at some point. So I think that's a good option. Evan Turner as well. I've, I've mentioned him in the past before. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he's on the uh, on the on the trade table as a, a bit of a salary dump. And, and the other one that we'll, I've sort of discussed on this podcast before, and given the fact that they're, they're looking to uh, give Nikola, Mirit- uh, sorry, Nikola Jokic rather, a maxed offer there in, in uh, Denver, I wonder if the Farid option really becomes more, uh, more palatable for a team like the Nuggets to sort of move him on for a, for a future pick. But I guess my, my issue for the Bulls in terms of taking on these bad contracts is the fact that, as again, as I mentioned before, they have already have six guaranteed contracts in the front court. They already have Amir Ashik on the roster doing pretty much nothing, collecting dust, um, coming over from that Miritich trade. And it really does ram, point, uh, ram the point home in terms of how bad that Cristiano Felicio, uh, Felicio deal was oh in the sense God. that they've got another center there that's just collecting dust and not doing much now, particularly with Wendell Carter Jr. being on the roster. So they've got a lot of I guess, cap space and, and, and roster space uh, committed to, to big man. So I wonder if they're not going to be interested in taking a salary dump for a big man, but maybe more so a wing. And, and that's when Lu, Lu, someone like Luol Deng really does make sense as uh, coming back to Chicago. Yeah, that, oh, that Felicio deal, man. It's, it, yeah, it, it's, it, who were they bidding against? I, I know we, yeah. don't, we, we don't want to go back in time one no. year, but man, that was, <laughs> and four years as well. That just shows you how bad four years. And I know it's only $8 million a year. But four years, man, you've got three three more years left on that. It's a real uh, it, it's a real struggle in terms of trying to work out the, the logic behind that. But yeah, I, I don't have full faith that they're going to be able to execute extracting a good asset away from a team, um, and that's based on years and years of history with this front office. But it, there are some clear options out there with so much, and we've spoken about it at length today. How tight the cap scenario is. You should be able to squeeze these teams. Yeah, put their balls in a vice. You go, well, if, if you don't make these deals, you're just not going to be able to get these free agents. And you guys want LeBron to come, don't you? You're going to have to do something. Give us two future firsts. Give us whatever for this this uh, horrible little old Dean contract. Sure, we almost killed the guy when he was here, but yeah, he'll, he'll, want it. He'll, want it. he'll want to come back, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I mentioned, it didn't necessarily finish up Rosie there for Dean and the Bulls, but... Um... <laughs> Look, it's it's a potential option, and, and it's one that they should be exploring. And it seems like a lot of fans actually are on board with that situation. Most most Bulls fans are kind of on board with with the whole tank premise and the fact that the Bulls should be not actively trying to win games, or at least trying to creep back into the playoffs. If they win games here and there, that's fine. But the 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 method of uh, operation here should still be trying to uh, accumulate future assets for better players, particularly if they do lead, uh, lose out on a guy like Zach Levine, who is, I guess, meant to be part of the core. But another question I wanted to throw at you, and I've, I've been thinking about this more more and more as I've been, I guess, studying the free agency period coming up. And look, we've already alluded to the fact that the Bulls want to be players in 2019. That's what they're saving or hoarding their cap space for. They're trying to be players in that market, but they're not alone in that thinking. There's going to be a lot more teams with cap space in 2019 as those bad deals from the 2016 offseason enter their final year, or some of them might even expire at that point. I, I Do you think there's any merit or, or um, yeah, merit's the right word in terms of 
maybe foregoing the 29 for 2019 free agency period, given that there's going to be so much more ca- a competition for Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard and Clay Thompson, Kyrie Irving, these types of players. There's going to be so much more com- uh, competition for these players that the Bulls might not even be realistic. I guess, players for those sorts of guys in 2019, given that they are a rebuilding team. So do you think it makes more sense to strike in 2018 now when there's less suitors and less competition? Or do you think they should um, stick to that 2019 plan? Um, I just don't think they're going to have much or really any success in this sort of off-season with these players. You know, the good players aren't going to really give them at the time of day. They're not going to get meetings with Paul George. They're not going to get meetings... With uh, with LeBron James, they're not going to get you know, meetings with the, even quality players like JJ Redick. What's the point of that? You know, bringing a guy in like that. So, uh, yeah, there will be more teams with that cap space in 2019. But yeah, the Bulls have got more of an opportunity to to look appealing. Yeah, if Zach Levine does look, good, if Chris Dunn does develop a iota of an offensive game, if Cameron Payne can step up after having a fully healthy offseason, I still have faith in him, even though most of your listeners probably don't. Does Larry Markinen take a step forward? Maybe Wendell Carter announces himself, bang, I am a starting center in the NBA from day one. And then you've got a a decent enough young sort of team, big market, big city, historic franchise. Then maybe that can turn around. At this point, people look at it and go, what's what's going on with this crap? Like, what is this team? Like, who's, who's coming across there? in that sort of a scenario, even though that market might be more competitive in 2019, you're not bringing anyone in really. And you probably run more of a risk of handcuffing yourself uh, to someone who's maybe not quite the level that you want to just because the interest in your franchise isn't quite there. Yeah. Look, I, 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 I was play, I was always playing devil's advocate there and in, in asking that question, because I, I think you're right. It, it probably doesn't make sense still to attack the 2018 free agency period, but and 2019 being that right time. But it's an interesting thought exercise given, you know, that they do probably have the upper hand in terms of signing players in this free agency market versus versus next. But having said that, as you pointed out, you, you need players to want to come to Chicago and that's not, not that might not necessarily be the case even if they do happen to have a, a ton of space and not necessarily going to get themselves a real game changer anyway. But you sort of alluded to there, you know, JJ Redick and, and that's the next question I wanted to ask you and, do you, do you think the Bulls are actually a team that could actually do a similar deal to what the, the Sixers did there with J.J. Redick, offer him a, a big, fat, one-year deal to come in and be that culture change guy, that real experienced type of player, give him a one-year 15 or one-year $20 million deal? It doesn't necessarily have to be J.J. Redick himself, but do you think they should be thinking or considering an option like that where they bring in a veteran wing of sorts to maybe mentor someone like Chandler Hutchinson and... You know, just having come in for a year and, and maintain your your flexibility and cap space for twenty nineteen at the same time. Yeah, look, it, it's an option that clearly worked out for Philadelphia. You run into the issue with not having bird rights on a player, but if you sell them on your team and sell them on your franchise, and you've got that space you're heading into the the next season, then there are there are ways to work around that. So. I think that's definitely something they should be yeah, considering, whether that's getting the team you know, back on track and on an upward trajectory and teaching these guys the importance of being good people yeah, to each other, yeah, to you know, the fan base, getting that professionalism going and also developing them as players and having someone as great as like, we're not necessarily specifically talking about Reddick, but having someone where when Levine gets into trouble, when Carter gets double teamed down in the post, when Markinen's having a cold streak, you can flick it out to JJ and it's going to go in. 
and that just eases the pressure on these other players. Again, it could be any number of different. Maybe, do you bring in Vince Carter like to, to do that sort of thing? We know that you know, Vince is you know, known as a, as a, as a you know, really good bloke in the locker room and being able to help in that respect. Like that's even something you don't have to pay big money. But yeah, Vince, have ten million bucks for one year. Come in and, and try and sort some of this crap out in this locker room. I, I'm definitely not opposed to it. Yeah, I'm kind of warming to that idea, to be honest with you, and and I don't think it would be that harmful. I think there could be a lot of potential benefits there, but look, we've gone on long enough here. Let's close out the show here with some some names on the periphery that sort of make sense for the Bulls. We've we've sort of talked about the roster in the self and the fact that there's a lot of guaranteed contracts. There's not a lot of roster space here for the Bulls to be sort of going out and signing three, four, five types of players like they have done in in past iterations of free agency periods, but... Who are some names on the periphery there that could sort of fill out the roster? Like I said, they've got some... There's not a lot of roster space, and the roster itself, despite its flaws, it's kind of full. But what are some um, some lower-level names that the Bulls could sort of consider on the periphery? And do you think one of them should be former Bulls legend Doug McDermott? <laughs> um, former Bulls legend Doug McDermott. Um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, look, apparently the, the news today is Dallas isn't going to be offering him a qualifying offer, so he is going to be an unrestricted free agent. So he's, he's a, an option there. Again, we desperately need people to play the three, not that he's providing any level of defense or playmaking or rebounding or anything apart from shooting. But just, again, having an outlet option there it could be really, uh, really important. Like, I think a guy like that would, would be interesting. I, I mentioned the name earlier, Seth Curry. I think that he is a really, really strong option. Yeah, he's, he's not playing the three, but yeah, replacing Justin Holiday in the rotation with someone who's actually good might might uh, be a, be a decent way to go about it. Maybe J- James Ennis, a player who can guard threes and got a little bit of upside in what he can do. It didn't really fit that well in Detroit, but had some some nice moments in Memphis and back a couple of years ago when he was with the Pelicans. I think he is, is a strong option there. Um, yeah, I wouldn't even mind taking a fly. Say he's a real low level. Marcus George's Hunt. Uh, who played some minutes under Tibbs last season, so he he knows all about uh, what it's like to get out of that uh, that nonsense that uh, that uh, Thibodeau is running over there. So I think he's got some upside as a three and D wing guard type of a player. The bloke who I'd really want to come across though, Mark, is uh, is uh, Super Mario Hazonia. I I would be stoked to see him out there. Can play the three, can play the four, can handle the ball. Get him in there. He is the one that I want to bring across, and I reckon you can get him at a decent enough rate. Yeah, he's a really interesting name, and, and, and I'm probably thinking about this wrongly in, in the sense of wondering about how good or bad the defense could be if you have Zach Levine and you know Mario Hazonia on, on on your perimeter and maybe someone like Bobby Portis playing power forward on, in certain yeah. rotations as well. I probably shouldn't be gross. concerning myself with the defense there. Obviously, it's not going to be great, but maybe you do take a flyer on Hazonia, and, and maybe he makes even more sense if you do lo- lose out on someone like Zach Levine. So... I'm warming to the idea. It's been mentioned to me before, and I know a lot of Bulls fans are kind of okay with that thought, but he's certainly a name that I would be considering. But a, a name that I really like, actually, is Joe Harris from the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, oh, jumping Joe. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they'd be keen to, to keep him. And he was a great find for him. They've developed him into a really good two, uh, maybe not two-way player, but certainly a really good shooter at the shooting guard position. Shot really well for the Brooklyn Nets. He's, a, he's another example of a guy they've really developed there, along with, again, former Bulls legend Spencer Dinwiddie. But um, I would kind of like getting in Joe Harris there. He's an option there at shooting guard. And I, I guess if I'm going to have... If I'm going to play the concerns about defense with someone like Mario Hazonia, I should probably do the same with Joe Harris. He's not necessarily going to be a really lockdown defender of any sorts, but 
I don't know. I think he could be a sneaky option. And another guy that I'm really, really into is maybe like taking a one-year deal at you know, $10, $15 million and, and trying to get him out of Miami. And, and I'm talking about Wayne Ellington, who's a uh, fantastic shooter. I think he's a great character guy as well. And he would be perfect in a Fred Hoiberg offense. And he's someone that I would very much like to have on a on maybe on a one-year deal on a, on a you know a 10 to $12 million number or even 15, something of that nature. Yeah, I think he's going to be in demand. So is Harris. These guys are going to be in pretty significant demand. But Mark, I'll ask you this question. How prepared are you for the Chicago Bulls to bring in Chicago native legends Jolly Locafor and Jabari Parker this offseason? <laughs> uh, well, I was going to actually finish this podcast with a, a joke about bringing back Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo, given they're both uh, free agents. I've already mentioned Tug McDermott. They should bring the whole band back. But I, I, am, I do worry. Back. Sorry? Lou old things coming back. Well, yeah, they're all coming back. They may, you know, bring Tibbs back while you're at it. He might not be lasting too much longer at Minnesota. But... D- Derek Rose is a free agent? Yeah, true, true, true. There's a, there's a lot of former Bulls that are free agents, unfortunately. But I, I, I do worry about someone like Jabari Parker because, again, if they do strike out on Zach Levine, maybe the Kings oh. are, are able to sort of bring him in. I wonder if they try to you know, throw something at Jabari Parker. It's definitely an option. They're going to go three years, 70 million Jabari Parker. And Parker's fine. He's a good player. I think he's a much better player than Zach Levine, personally. The two ACLs is the real worry, but I can just see them doing it, and they're going to come out there. And they're not going to talk about his basketball ability. They're going to come out and say, oh, he's from Chicago, and he loves the city. Cool. That's not the reason you give someone $70 million. Look, I, I love the city. Where's my $70 million? I've not been there. I enjoyed their pizza. Like, come on. <laughs> Mine. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Maybe we need to we need to get a share of that coin. But um, this podcast often finds a way to end on a dark note, and I, I think Jabari <laughs> Parker, I know, on a three year, seventy million dollar deal, is is maybe as dark as it could probably get, given the two ACLs that he suffered. But look, fingers crossed, we don't go there. But look, mate, I appreciate you jumping on and um, spending the last hour or so talking Bulls for agency. I really do appreciate that. And again, it's been fun talking to a fellow Aussie. I was counting the bloke. The, the bloke references, uh, I reckon we got up to a five or six there. So, again, that's a first for Bulls HQ as well. So, uh, thanks for joining me and tell the listeners where they can follow you online, even though they probably already know. Yeah, well, if you don't already follow me, you can do that on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball. You can go, yeah, follow me there. And uh, I uh, I can't resist interacting with people, no matter no matter sometimes the stupidity that gets thrown my way. So, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. I'll, uh, I'll be answering your questions and uh, responding and getting into polite discussions with you over on Twitter. Perfect, and and like like Josh alluded to there, if you're not following him, do so. He will respond. He's he's an active guy on Twitter, on NBA Twitter, so do so. Listen to his podcast, read his work on basketballmonster.com as well. Uh, again, mate, appreciate you jumping on. No worries, Mark. It was good, uh, good to chat some bulls and uh, get some uh, cleansing negative thoughts out. <laughs> Always appreciate getting those negative thoughts out. Thanks, mate. All right, so that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. As I mentioned. Big free agency period coming up for the Chicago Bulls. Not necessarily bringing in guys, but they could be active in terms of bringing in some bad contracts and hopefully some future first-round picks. But we shall see if that's possible. We'll see what happens with Zach Levine and David Waber as well. But in terms of the next episode, I'm not necessarily sure when the next one will be out. Depending, on, I guess, on what happens, you know, how how quickly the Bulls sort of resolve this issue with Levine and Waber and whatever other transactions they get their hands involved with. That'll probably dictate when the next episode will be, but 
I'm, I'm hoping they can sort of do that pretty quickly and, and we can have something to talk about as well. But at the same time, we've got Summer League approaching within the next week or so as well. So I'll probably be back in the next seven to ten days to talk Summer League, to talk free agency, to talk all these things concerning the Chicago Bulls. So be on the lookout in your podcast feeds and on Twitter and online, etc. Looking out for the show, you know I'll be spamming it to death. But uh, in the meantime, you can follow the show at Bulls HQ on Twitter. You can follow me on at Twitter, at MK Hoops. And um, if you do have some time, if you want to jump on iTunes and maybe give us a five-star review or something of that nature, I don't necessarily like asking for it, but I uh, appreciate your support nonetheless. But as I mentioned, we'll be back in about seven to 10 days to go. And here's to hoping that the Bulls do secure Zach Levine on a friendly deal because I think he's still part of the future. I think there's still a player with, left within Zach Levine and... Here's to hoping they can uh, both agree to a deal that makes sense for both parties, but we shall find out. And uh, we will uh, have all the latest on free agency back here on Bulls HQ next week. So again, thanks for joining me and take care. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.